Well, welcome, everybody. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning, watch, here in service, uh, watching um, outside and at home. Um, but for some of you, you might have already heard, and this is kind of like an announcement, that um, Sharon Vong, who's our administrator, will be leaving our staff on um, October 10th. And I don't know, some of you are going, oh, man, oh, man. But the thing is, her old manager reached out to her and offered her a very, you know, a pr really good compensation package. And as much as Sharon loved working here, as with all of us, you know, she has to prioritize her family's financial situation. And I know one member called her a superstar, and it feels like we're losing LeBron James here. And, but see, that comes with having a really good staff. Because I know that, you know, with the current staff, there are several churches that have approached several of our, um, our staff members and inquired if they would uh, be able to or if they would consider working for them. So we know that happens, but we also believe that God will provide um, a person uh, to fill her position. So, you know, if you know anybody that might be interested, um, please let us know. Um, and we'd love to, um, you know, have you uh, work with his staff. But we've been going through uh, the book of Galatians. And last week we talked about um, the, the works of the flesh, right? And these were a list of behaviors or sins that Paul listed that we all could fall into, right? And they come from our flesh. And, and a lot of times when we look at these lists, whether they were, you know, sexual sins, sins of anger, jealousy, um, and so forth, you know, we try to deal with them ourselves, but we can't. And the only way we deal with them is through what? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Rather than to try to hit them head on and deal with it with our own willpower, what does Paul instruct us to do? Live by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. And, these, and this is how we deal with behaviors that are destructive to us. However, there are times when we succumb to these, and they do have consequences. So how do we deal with them? And that's what we're going to talk about today. And Paul talks about, um, he starts out in Galatians 6, Verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Galatians 6, verse 1? And he starts off by saying, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Once again, when he's, remember, the test, quiz. When he says brothers and sisters, who he's, who's he talking to here? Believers. Exactly. Good job, guys. Shows that you're, you're listening to me. It feel, makes me feel good. But whenever you see brothers and sisters, the author is referring to believers in the church. He says, if, oh, before we go on, we're going to talk about discipline in the church. Now, I want to make, sure, make it very clear that discipline in the church is different than discipline, disciplining your children at home. Because when we're talking about discipline in the church, we're talking about adults. Disciplining your children is a uh, different, um, whole different story. So there might be some overlap here. But once again, we're talking about how do we discipline adults, adults in the church. We're not talking about children at home. So when it says, is brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in sin. And when he says caught, he's, he's not talking about, oh, you, you also, oh, 
Oh my gosh, what are they doing? No, when it, the caught means being trapped. So there are some of us in the church who struggle with sin. There are certain sins in our life that just seem to have a grip on us, and we struggle with those sins. We're, we're, we're trapped in those sins. It's kind of like a being caught in a bear trap, right, where you step on it, it and it grabs onto you, right? And, and so you might be able to hide it, but then one day, one day, you're, you're caught. And this is what we're talking about. And he says, if anyone is caught. Now, he's not saying that, well, you might be caught one day. No. What he's saying is that I understand that all of you sin. It's going to happen because we're not perfect. So the question is, well, what do we uh, do about it? Right? And so he says, those who live by the Spirit, meaning those who are going to address this problem, Now, those who live by the Spirit, we're not talking about the spiritual elite here. Because a lot of people say, those who live by the Spirit, oh, those are the ones who are the special uh, Christians. They are the the leaders. They are the ones who, oh my gosh, they're revered in the church. That's not what he's talking about here. When he says those who... um, live by the Spirit, are the same believers that we were talking about last week. Those who live by the Spirit, those who are led by the Spirit, right? And that's what he's talking about here, right? So if that's you, you are the person to step up and take care of this. Don't say, oh, you know what? I don't know a whole lot of Bible. I don't know how to deal with this. Well, you know, the Holy Spirit will give you the wisdom if you live by the Spirit, right? I'd rather have you um, restore a person than somebody who might be, have been a believer for a long time but is not walking with the Lord, right? Who's not living by the Spirit. So it's really not talking about how long you've been a Christian. It's just, are you living by the Spirit? And then he said, to restore Okay, the purpose is to restore. Now, the word here, restore, is the same word that you use to heal something that's broken. Do you got that? To heal something that is broken. And usually we refer to what? A bone, right? And so I don't know how many of you have had broken bones before, but what's the purpose? Is to heal it and to fuse it. And a lot of things, you know, for you, those of you know that, you know, I was hit by a car when I was standing on the street and it whacked, cracked my femur completely in half. Well, guess what? That bone is healed, but actually they say it's stronger now than it was when before the accident. So that's the purpose of restoration to take a person who is broken because of their sin. And to what? To heal and to restore them. But the problem is, so the first point is that restoration is the goal for church discipline, which must be done gently. Healing and restoration. Taking somebody who is broken and to heal them. To make them stronger. That is the goal. But he says what? It should be done gently. But the Judaizers, they were the ones who were in the church, and they were very legalistic, and they believed that salvation was achieved 
by obeying the rules. So they live by rules, right? Do this, don't do that. Eat this, don't eat that, right? And they were very harsh on the people, right? And so for those of us who, when we look at this word gently, especially those who grew up in my generation, and you talk about gentle discipline, that might be a big jump, right? Because when I was a kid, you, parents were allowed to hit their kids, right? When I was disciplined, my dad had a piece of wood this long, this thick, and whack, you know, right in a rear, right? But it wasn't only on, I mean, I mean, it, it, yeah, that hurt, okay? But it wasn't just at the home, right? Teachers could hit their children, the students, if they misbehave. Remember that? I was in fourth grade, and I was talking, and my fourth grade teacher, Mr. Grinley, came up, and he said, whack! You know, he made this thing, and he had this knuckle that stood out, whack, right on my head. Fourth grader. And I was going, ah! You know, I had an algebra teacher who had a ruler, Whack on the hand, right? In PE, they used to make you, if you did something, they used to have a paddle with holes in it and whack. And, you know, and, you know I had friends that were hit with belts and all of that, and that's the way we disciplined, right? Spare the rod, spoil the child. And then we had to raise our children, and they took all the tools of our belt away. And they got not on our tool belt away. Go, how do we discipline our kids if we can't do the things that our parents did? But we have to um, emphasize the word gently, which those of us who grew up in the 60s and 70s and possibly 80s, we have to kind of switch our minds here, right? But when he says gently, Paul's view was very much in line with Jesus, right? Paul's view was very much in line with Jesus. Because in John 8, 3 to 11, it says, John writes, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of, in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Basically, because when Jesus was on earth, the Old Testament of the law was still in effect, right? And the law or the penalty for adultery was what? Was death, execution. So here they brought a woman who was caught in adultery, and they're bringing her to Jesus. And said, Jesus, you know, the law says that this woman was caught in adultery, and she should be executed. And it's really interesting because both parties were to be executed, but they just brought the woman here, right? And so they wanted to trap him. So what does Jesus do? Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Now the question is, we don't know what Jesus was writing, right? He could have been writing out their sins or whatnot, but he just bent down and started writing. But they kept on questioning him, right? And he's straightened up and he said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Okay, so once again, Jesus understands that the law still was in force. And the penalty for adultery was execution by stoning. So he admits that. He said, okay. Um, He stands up and he says, let any one of you without sin... Okay, you be the first one 
to throw the stone. At this, those who began to, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. Only, only, excuse me, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. And Jesus says, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. Right? The law was still in fact. But Jesus asked, Where are those who condemned you? And she said they all left. Why? Because Jesus' strategy was brilliant. He said, yes, I know the law is in place. But you, who think you're perfect, who stand in judgment over this woman, you get to be the ones to throw the first stone. And people realize that, you know what? I can't, I can't throw this first stone. And But what does Jesus say? He goes, neither do I condemn you. You know, Jesus addressed her sin that was punishable by death gently. But he also made it clear that her um, behavior or her sin would destroy her and others. Because when, when we talk about adultery here, it always just, you know, it hurts that person, but also the person they're committing it with. So he says to leave that lifestyle behind. He, do, he, he um, doesn't condemn her for it, but he realizes the seriousness of the sin, and he loved her in too much to let her continue in that. So he says, look, I don't condemn you, condemn you, but, you know, you can't, be do- you can't live your life like this. That's why he said, leave your lifestyle of sin, because it appears that this per- she was caught. She was trapped in this sin. Well, Jesus, and so Jesus um, dealt with her gently, but he made it clear that she is not to do this behavior anymore. But he says, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. He says, watch yourself so that you don't commit the same sin. Now, one of my uh, pastor mentors, you know, he was one of the wisest men I know, and he told me that, you know, many times, People who are critical of a certain behavior of another person struggle with that behavior themselves. Do you understand that? People, he said, many times people who are critical of others or overly critical about, let's say, the behavior of somebody else in a specific sin or behavior, what are they? They often struggle with that sin themselves. Why? Because that person is like a mirror (laughs) that reflects their behavior back to them. And so he says, careful when you're judging. Careful. Because, you know, you might be the one who's struggling with that behavior. You might be struggling with that behavior. And then you might be tempted to commit that same sin. So basically, corporately, what are we supposed to do? We are to gently restore our person. Privately, what are we supposed to do? We are to watch ourselves so that we are not tempted to commit that sin. Then he says, bear one another's burdens, and this way you will fill the law of Christ. Now, sometimes, and you and I have known this, that um, the weight of the consequences of a person's actions can be 
devastating. You right? You know, God places his commands here not to make our lives miserable because he loves us. You know, that's why we sang that song, Amazing Love. He's not, he didn't put these things in place to make us miserable. He put these in place because what? He loves us. And he wants to keep us from the consequences of sin because sin always destroys, sin always hurts, right? But there are times when people are trapped in certain sins and, they're, and it, makes the, it devastates them. And so what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to beat them up? No. What are we supposed to do? Help them bear their burden. Because what's the goal? The goal is to what? Restore that person, right? And a lot of times when a person is dealing the consequences of the sin, they understand how they got there, right? What's our goal? To restore, restore them. And we do that by what? Pointing our finger at them and see, I told you so. You know, if you listen to me, this wouldn't have happened. Maybe next time you learn. <laughs> I mean, I've done that too, you know. But what does he say to us to do? We are to carry their burden. All right. Now, this assumes that a person realizes their sin and repents of their behavior. Because I've also dealt with people that just, for whatever reason, they don't want to repent. They want to still continue the same behavior. Well, in that case, then I'll just say, you know what? If you, this is your choice. You have free will. And if you want to continue in this behavior, there are consequences. And then you're just going to have to live with them. And then you say, okay, God, you love this person. I give this person, <laughs> you know, to you, right? And so by helping, it doesn't mean that we, you know, consistently carry that burden, especially when they say, no, we're not going to do this. I'm not going to listen to you. Sometimes people just have to get to the point where they're so low that they can only, you know, look up. But then Paul goes on to say, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever for what you reap, whatever you sow. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For you reap whatever you sow. And this is a point here. This is important. That God forgives our sins. Any sin you commit, God forgives our sin. But does not remove the consequence of our sin. You all understand that? That's important. God is loving. God is kind. He forgives us of our sin. However, he does not remove the consequences of our sin. You know, when I was in college, I, um, you know, I had this friend named Dave. And everyone tell, used to tell me that Dave was this really smart guy, right? And then, unfortunately, he started doing drugs, right? And it just fried his brain. And I remember looking at him, and he was still... You could tell that he was smart, but he would just look at you with this glazed look. And it was almost like he had to really think about how to respond to you. Did God forgive him? Of course he did. Did God take the consequences away? No. And these were life-altering consequences because, once again, everyone said the guy was brilliant. You know, he had a future. But because of what he did, it altered his trajectory in life. Now, could God still use him? 
Of course he did. You know, I really don't know what he's doing right now, but once again, you know, God forgave him, but he doesn't remove the consequences of your sin. Why? He says, if you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Basically, you've heard that saying, you reap what you sow. You harvest what you plant. Who you become is the sum total of your actions. And that's what we're talking about here. And a lot of times we said, you know what? I've gotten away with it. You know, I know my behavior. And God, there was no lightning from heaven. God didn't throw the hammer down at me. And, you know, it seemed like I got away with it. But Walt, Ralph Waldo Emerson has this one quote. And he says, sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow a thought and you reap an action. This is why Jesus was so um, stressed, our thought process, right? Because you go, oh, it's just a thought. You know, what harm is that? Well, Jesus knows that a lot of times our thoughts, what? Turn into actions. Lust turns into actions. You know, revenge, revengeful thoughts turn into actions, right? So sow a thought, you reap an action. Sow an act, then you reap a habit. Sow a habit, and you reap a character. Sow a character, and you reap a destiny. You know, Paul says, sowing from the flesh, right? Sowing from the flesh always leads to destruction, and remember, he talked about the list when he said the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, self-ambitions, dissensions, factions, and, and, and envy, drunkenness, and orgies, right? He said these things are from the flesh, but these things destroy Right? These things destroy. And a lot of times when you take a look at these sins that he listed, whether it's sexual immorality, fits of rage, dissensions, drunkenness, it just doesn't happen like that. Right? What our enemy does is he gets at us through compromise. He goes, what's the big deal? It's just a little thing. You're not going to hurt anybody. Right? He'll try to turn you slowly. And then he'll try to make you compromise again. And again, and again, and again. Next thing you know, those, those things where you said, you know what? You know, I've done these things, but I've never reaped that, right? Well, you know, if you lived a sexually immoral life, you're reaping the actions that, you know, Paul was talking about here. If you have fits of rage, if you're known as an angry person, you are reaping what you sowed. You might say, oh, I'm just got angry this once. Oh, I just got angry twice. I got angry the third time. But what happens? And you say, well, nothing happened. Well, now you're an angry person. Or let's say, you know, drunkenness. He was saying, oh, just one drink. Nothing happened. Two drinks, three drinks. Nothing happened. Next thing you know, you're an alcoholic. And what, what happened? God is not mocked. We always, 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 always reap what we sow. 
even though you don't see the consequences. And this is what Satan relies on, that you don't see the consequences. Because if he could turn you just a little bit, by 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 little bit, next thing you know, you have your back turned against God. Right? We reap what we sow, and that's important, even though you don't think that you're suffering the consequences. There are always consequences. And these things that we looked at in Galatians 5, they always destroy. They always destroy relationships. They'll destroy you if you let it get to that far. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to reap the Spirit, right? And if we reap the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, um, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, those things lead to life. The works of the flesh destroy relationships. The fruit of the Spirit restores relationships, especially broken relationships, right? And as you see the gentleness, gentleness is the fruit of the Spirit. And then he says, so let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap a harvest at harvest time if we do not give up. You know, doing what is right, doing what is good, that's taxing over time. And this is why I thank all of you for signing up for Family Promise. And yes, we had issues where the families were not allowed to stay here this week, right? And so, however, you know, as I told a lot of people, God looks at your heart. God looks at your heart. And even though you signed up to help a homeless family, they didn't come. You didn't get to feed them. You didn't get to stay overnight. You didn't get to clean up. God looks at the heart, right? And so sometimes that could be hard where it says, oh, man, I did this. I planned the menu and, and all of that. And it was for nothing. No, it wasn't for nothing. God saw that. God's going to reward you for that, right? But don't let the fact that it didn't work out say, you know what, I don't want to do it again. Doing what's good, lifting up, carrying another's burden, that's hard work. I don't know if any of you have done that, had a friend who you've tried to lift up and help carry their burden. It's hard. And this is why Paul says, whatever you do, you know, don't grow weary doing what is right. Because God's seeing it. You might be the only person who knows it, but God sees it. God will reward you. He says, whenever you have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. Paul says, you know what? Yeah, doing good is hard. It's hard work. But he said, whenever we have an opportunity, whenever you see an opportunity, whenever an opportunity presents itself to do good, he said, let us do that for everyone. But then he also follows that up with, and especially for those of the family of faith. And it says, be willing to help everyone, but the body of Christ has priority. It doesn't mean that we turn our backs on the outside, that we say, well, forget it. I'm not going to help you because you're not part of the body. No, because Paul says we should try to help everyone. However, if there's people hurting in your church and you're out there helping others, that's a problem. 
Because what? He said, we're a family. And he says, we're all intertwined with each other. Because Paul says, when one part of the body hurts, what? We all hurt. Therefore, Paul says, I get it. We're supposed to help all. But we are to give priority to those in the body of Christ who are hurting. Because, you know, we're family. And how can we care about the outside if we can't even learn to care inside? Now, once again, care is a complicated thing here. And we get it. But, you know, we need to try. And this is how you learn. You know, you learn to care for people. And sometimes the best care could be tough love. You might get to that point, right? Because we're not, Jesus was never taken advantage of. He was never, to, and we aren't to take, be taken advantage of either. But we are to try to help. And this is why we have a mercy fund. Now, what a mercy fund is a fund that's set up that is, you know, where people donate to this fund, and we use it to help people in this church. And so, you know, I, I'm a part of that um, committee. You know, Kim Yokoyama's a part of the Mercy Fund committee, and Fred Sen is a part of that committee. All you need to do is, you know, approach one of us, right? And it's completely confidential, and I get it, that it could be hard to approach us. So, if you just know somebody out there that might need help, you know, you could approach us on their behalf because asking for help is tough. But this is why we have it. This is why we have it. And I get it's hard to do this. But what we're doing here is we are following Scripture where it says that do good for all, but especially those in the family of faith. This is us as a church trying to live out Scripture. It's there. It's there. Please use it. Right? So what's our weekly, weekly challenge? I want us to read Galatians 6, 1 through 10 every day. Now, if you know a believer who has sinned, especially if they're struggling in sin and they're trapped in sin, don't judge them. But restore them gently. And that means walking alongside. It's not going to be easy, but this is what Paul God wants from us. If a person, believer, sins against you, follow the process Jesus outlined in Matthew 4, 18, 15 to 17. It might be easy for us to deal with somebody who we, who's sinning, but what happens when somebody does something to us? Well, guess what? We are to restore them gently too, and we also see that in Matthew 18, 15 through 17, where Jesus outlines the process and how we deal with somebody who sins against us. And then finally, look for opportunities to lighten the load of a person. Look for opportunities to lighten a load for a person. Right? So those are the things I want us to try to do this week. And don't worry if you're not perfect at it. You know, the way we become more wise in the way we deal with people is just by doing it. You can't read a book. You can't do all of this. You, you learn, you gain wisdom in helping people. You mature in your faith by doing it, right? By doing it. And today is the first Sunday month where we do get to partake of communion, right? Communion is a reminder 
of this, of this sermon, right? That all of us have sinned. All of us have messed up. All of us continue to sin, right? But God loves us. And God wants to restore us. And God wants us to restore us gently if we let them, if we let them. However, if we dig our heels in, you know, you know, God loves us too much to get the, um, let those behaviors go. But this is why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And the whole purpose of Galatians was what? Religious freedom, getting the gospel right. You know, we have freedom in Christ, but that freedom didn't come cheap. Father, we know that you hate sin. You don't hate the sinner, but you hate sin because it destroys it destroys people. It destroys relationships. Yet, Father, in your mercy, you have commanded those of us who live by the Spirit to see somebody who's struggling, to see somebody who's broken, to see somebody who's been devastated by the consequence of their sin. To walk alongside them and to restore them gently. Father, give us the wisdom to do that. And more importantly, Father, give us a heart and the stamina and the perseverance to carry one another's burdens. But Father, we know that we are just a vehicle. And that the true power of transformation, the power of perseverance, the strength that you give us to do this, all comes from your Holy Spirit. So, Father, allow us to continue to live by your Spirit, to be led by your Spirit, to walk in your Spirit. Father, so we could help those who are hurting right now. Thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.